Mike Rags and Todd Burlage with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk. It's the Blue Gold Report. All right, we are back after a week off. It is the Blue Gold Report brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons Funeral Homes. I'm Mike Rags. Going to bring Todd Burlich in here in a second, but I do want to remind you, wherever you found us via podcast on your listening device, make sure you uh, rate and review us and share us with all your friends. And, of course, if you're listening on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM on Saturday mornings, we welcome you as well. Lots to get to today. The women keep rolling along. We have a new all-time scorer for the women's basketball team as well. We'll get to that a little bit later on and the men's basketball team boy oh boy can't get out of their own way still they are just undermanned every time they go hit the court uh we'll talk nfl combine as well we've got scott wright from draftcountdown.com talk about the players heading to indianapolis and what they can potentially do to their draft status and maybe we'll dip into some hockey as well and and i'll bring todd todd burlage in right now Hey, the the you know there's a fencing uh, ACC championships. The men and women are are going for broke there, Todd. I didn't know if you were on yep. top. Are you on top of that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, absolutely. Yeah, they will be looking for this. Is kind of the first step in the process to trying to secure a third straight national championship. Well, let me introduce him. Rightfully, he is Todd Burlage of Blue Gold Illustrated, a writer for all things Notre Dame. Todd had a couple of weeks off here uh, again. Uh, I like this week off thing during this time period because when the basketball team on the men's side is not doing too well, <laughs> and we usually uh, if we do a show every week, we might just have to bash them way too much. Yeah, good point, good point. We are going to start heating up here, though, with some postseason basketball and spring football and, you know, upon us as well, Rags. You look at the standings in the ACC, you know, the Irish might be playing on the first day, like, lunchtime. And that's, yeah, that's, that, that is, I mean, when was the last time that's ever happened? Yeah, they may they might be punted from the ACC tournament at two o'clock p.m. on day one. You're right. <laughs> Between them and IU, uh, thank God there's Purdue in this state. Let's just say that, right? <laughs> All right, Todd, you always start us off with some blue gold nuggets. What do you got? Little sad news to start with. Uh, one of the better players in Notre Dame history and, and a great NFLer as well, uh, Bob Kuchenberg died mm. um, recently since our last show, uh, age of seventy one. Um, he was what well, he. he Obviously, he was a great player for Notre Dame, starter, offensive lineman on the 1966 National Championship team. Went on, and it took him a while to hook up with the Miami Dolphins of the NFL, but once he did, boy, did he make a mark there, Rags. Six Pro Bowls, um, twice first-team All-Pro, spent 14 seasons there, and uh, certainly his family will miss him, and our prayers and thoughts are with his family, but Bob Kuchenberg has passed away again at the age of 71. Kind of another sad note, Notre Dame junior wide receiver Javon McKinley, he was charged, this was February 11th, with three misdemeanors, two of those Class A counts of battery. This was kind of a sordid tale here, Rags. I'm sure you heard about it. He was on campus. He fell asleep in the back of an Uber car, <laughs> and the cops were called, and they were they were doing anything they could to try and help this guy just get to his dorm room, get to his dorm room, and he just did not want to cooperate at all. Ended up punching two police officers, um, obviously, underage drinking there. Uh, all, well, kind of a litany of charges here, Rags. We'll see if all have to see how this all plays out. Really, been a seldom used wide receiver, and he came in as one of the top recruits out there. Um, he was actually rated as the number fifty nine overall player in that entire recruiting class. That was the two thousand sixteen class. Only appeared in four games last year. Really has been a non factor at Notre Dame. So we'll have to wait and see if he sticks with the team. Exactly what's going to happen there, but. Uh, 
he's going to be up against some some crummy stuff here, shall we say? At least he was in an um, Uber. At least he was in an Uber. Uh, yeah, and it was. I mean, like I said, they they got him out. They were trying to help him to his dorm room, and he just would not cooperate. And he <laughs> kind of ran from them. There's some fire department officials on the on in the area as well. And so they restrained him, and then he punched a couple of cops. So that, that's just dumb. Yeah. I, I call him a lightweight. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jack Kaiser, the Notre Dame and really early enrolled freshman, uh, all-purpose dude here down the street in um, Royal Center, Indiana, uh, Pioneer High School. He recently had shoulder surgery. He was an early enrollee, as I mentioned, but he will be out now for spring ball as he recovers from this. This kind of snuck up on him. He just had some soreness in the in the, the shoulder as he was doing workouts. So eventually, the Notre Dame doctors took a look at it and they find a, they found a small tear, a uh, partial tear. In his shoulder, so he had surgery. They figured, you know what, let's just get this over with and done with, and that way he will be 100% by fall, if not before that, probably by even the end of summer. So it's not a huge deal, but it is a little bit of a setback for Jack Kaiser. Last nugget, a four-pack today. Uh, In January, if you remember, when the very early Heisman odds came out, Ian Book wasn't even, he wasn't even listed on it, which was somewhat of a surprise for me. Well, betonline.com released their Heisman odds this week, and actually Ian Book is near the top of the list. Uh, he's ranked as the fifth most likely player to win the Heisman at 16-1. to Needless to say, Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, he's a 7-2, 7-2, huge favorite there. Uh, Alabama quarterback Tua Tagoviola, uh, he's 5-1, to so he's second on that list. Jalen Hurts, who now has transferred to Oklahoma from Alabama, he's 13-2, to and six players along with Book have 12-1 to odds, so... For whatever it's worth, Rags, last year's Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray, he started the season with 22-1 to 1 odds, so uh, that falls within Book's sort of uh, threshold there. Tim Brown remains the last Notre Dame player to win the Heisman. You have to go all the way back to 1987. Those are your blue golden nuggets. You know what? I might uh, lay a, a C-note down on that Heisman Trophy award. It could be worth my time there, Todd. Yeah, the schedule plays out such that if he can survive that tough schedule, then certainly he will be in the uh, in the conversation. Uh, the problem is, will Notre Dame be able to survive that such t- that tough schedule, Rags? Yeah, I know that's uh, that's a big if, and uh, we'll see what happens. And again, uh, an undefeated Notre Dame team might not mean anything anymore. So we'll take a look at that next season when we get there. Let's look back real quick, Todd, because I know you wanted to look at the the final uh, football statistical rankings from from the team. What exactly do you want to point out here? Well, I just wanted to go kind of run down the list. These are always kind of interesting to me once all the teams have their complete resume mm-hmm. in and, and just kind of look at what happened versus this year versus last year. Uh, Notre Dame's Rushing offense was 182.6 yards per game. That was 51st. That's a huge drop, a huge drop from last year, 2017, when they hung 269.5 yards uh, per game out there uh, behind Josh Adams. Yeah, just um, so you know, mean, Georgia Tech was number one with 325 yards. So uh, yeah, that's course. way, way, way behind. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty typical for Georgia Tech sure. and Navy and some of those other ones. But uh Certainly, I think the, the rebuilt offensive line had something to do with that. Uh, the passing offense ended up improving, obviously, with Ian Book uh, after Wimbush was benched. 257.5 yards per game. Uh, the passing efficiency rating was 43rd, which isn't terrific, but again, you have to factor in uh, Wimbush there. Well, Total you know what's interesting there, too, Todd, and, and not to cut you off, but if you look at the top 10 uh, passing offenses, too, Oklahoma, Alabama, 
Ohio State. I sure. mean, you got to score points and put up a lot of points and being able to come back when you're down, which you saw in the playoffs they clearly weren't able to do. That that there's a there's there's something consistent about a high passing, high powered offense that's going to get you uh, some points in the playoffs. Yeah, and they always say defense wins championships, but I'll tell you what, a good offense isn't a bad plan B, Rags. You're Absolutely. exactly right. And you just you just listed the teams, uh, the top teams every year that, that ultimately always sort of rank in that top echelon of uh, of scoring and total offense. You know, Notre Dame was only 32nd in total offense, 440 yards a game, and 41st in scoring offense, 31.4. Now, again, uh, that it skewed a little bit with some of the struggles that Brandon Wimbush had in his starts. He never scored more than 24 points, um, so certainly that was a little bit of an issue. Um, the red zone slipped quite a bit. They were really good last season. They tied for 44th, 45 scores and 52 attempts. Um, let's see here. The third down conversion percentage was 32nd. Not bad, I guess. Passing defense was 44th, which isn't all that impressive, but the pass efficiency defense, which sort of takes into consideration all the things, uh, was 6th. In the country, and that was that. That's actually a, a program record. Rags. Wow, uh, the sixth is the best in the history. Is there. that where they rank uh, the highest this year, or is there somewhere higher? Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, just a couple of total defense thirtieth, uh, kind of pedestrian there. Scoring defense was thirteenth, gave up eighteen point two yards per game, which I thought was pretty good. Turnovers forced only forty fourth, and turnover margin forty first. Those have to improve. And the last one I'll give you here: sacks recorded, tied for thirty fourth in the country, two point six two per game think you can do better than that as well. So just kind of a capsulated look at kind of where Notre Dame improved and then in some of the areas they slipped a little bit this season compared to last. All right, let's bring him in right now. We're going to talk a little NFL combine or who's not going to the combine as well. Our good buddy from DraftCountdown.com. You can follow him on Twitter at DraftCountdown. It is Scott Wright. Scott, it's Mike Rags and Todd Burledge here in northern Indiana talking Notre Dame football. How you been? I'm doing excellent. Uh, it's an exciting time of the year, the Combine on the horizon here. And the thing I like about the Combine is every single player has a question they want to answer in some regard. Uh, before we get to Notre Dame, and I know Todd's got a whole list, uh, uh, Murray, what's he going to do at the Combine? Is he going to throw the ball? Who, who knows? I mean, it, it, it's it's a coin flip with these top quarterbacks a lot of times. But it, all the focus with Kyler Murray is going to be on his height. I want to see how much he weighs. They listed him at 195, but he looked very slight. So I want to see if he's been able to bulk up. And, and more importantly, does he have the frame and the potential to bulk up further, or is he maxed out? All right, Todd, I got the, I got the national thing out of the way. You can, you can talk Notre Dame now if you want. All right, let's do it. Eight invitees for Notre Dame at the Combine here coming up. The, all the field, on, on the field work, obviously they'll go through all the poking and prodding and, and interviews and that type of thing, but the on-the-field work will run March 1st to March 4th. Scott, I'm just going to run down this list. Give me uh, maybe a, a good point on him, a, a question mark on him, and, and your sort of your draft pro- projection. A guy that did very well at the Senior Bowl, running back Dexter Williams. Yeah, absolutely explosive. He should run really well uh, and show off that explosiveness. Uh, for him, I think the biggest thing is he's got to show his hands in the pass-catching drills, uh, and, and he needs to answer some off-the-field concerns in the interviews. I'm going to give you a couple linebackers here because I'm curious to see which one you have picked to go ahead of which. Uh, obviously, the combine will tell a lot for these guys. Uh, but let's start with a linebacker, a Fort Wayne native, uh, Drew Tranquil. I think with Tranquil at the combine, the biggest question is going to be those medical checkups. I think he needs to uh, not get red flag there by the team doctors. Obviously, that's beyond his control, but that's the central question with him. And 
and he should run well, and he's going to ace the interview portion. That's not a concern at all. He's one of the most impressive guys to interview in this draft. He really impressed people at the uh, at the Senior Bowl, so uh, he'll do fine in that regard. It's going to all come down to the medical checks with him, and uh, he's what teams are looking for in a linebacker these days, and if he comes back with a clean bill of health, I think he goes somewhere in rounds three through five. Okay, excellent, excellent. And his, his, his sort of partner in crime there at linebacker, Tavon Coney. Whereas Tranquil's coming along at the perfect time, it, the opposite is true of Coney. Um, the linebackers like him. He's explosive in the box, but teams want players with the range and ability, and that's just not where Coney excels. So that's what everyone's going to be looking at from Tavon Coney, the scouting combine. How does he move in space? Uh, in those linebacker drills, and I think he's going to be a day three pick, and he's probably going to go later than he would have ten years ago. That's really interesting. Uh, defensive lineman Jerry Tillery. Jerry Tillery is another player who should test really well. He's a he's a jumbo athlete, uh, and it's with him, and you know, in every other walk of life, being a well-rounded individual is a positive thing, but not necessarily right. in football. They don't really like guys with a lot of other interests, and Jerry Tillery has a lot of interests. He's a renaissance man, so I think the key for him at the scouting combine is going to be convincing these decision-makers that he's 100% committed to football, and, and, and that's his passion, because he's clearly uh, a top 100 overall talent. Yeah, really interesting, too, and I think you make a great point there, Scott, because, indeed, he loves to travel. He's well-read. He writes. He does a lot of different things, and I know what you mean. They sort of want their, their draft picks to have a tunnel vision, football only all the time. Perhaps uh, probably the first Notre Dame player that will be chosen in the draft, cornerback Julian Love. 40 times, uh, and, and sometimes the 40 times are overblown, but not in the case of cornerbacks, and, and especially – this year, I think Julian Love is right there battling it within that second tier of cornerbacks with maybe as many of a half, half a dozen other guys. And the difference between being the top end of that range could be a late first-round pick, and the bottom of that range you might end up being a late second-round pick. So uh, Julian Love, he's not real big, but he's a playmaker with a nose for the ball, and, and nobody expects him to run super well. But I think if he can come anywhere high four-fours, might be asking much too much, but definitely low four-fives. Uh, I think that's what he needs to be shooting for. Interesting as well, yeah, for sure. He does have those instincts that, that really can't be taught. Here's a guy that I thought when he came to Notre Dame would be the best tight end ever to move through Notre Dame, and certainly that did not happen. What's what sort of the buzz about Alizé Mack? Super talented. Uh, arguably as talented as just about any tight end in this class, but there again, off the field concerns. And interviews, interviews, interviews for Alizé Mack. I don't think anybody questions his physical ability. It's whether or not he has the intangibles to maximize that potential. Uh, and, and I think he could go later than people expect. Uh, I think he's more of a late-round pick right now, even though he has the talent to go to be among the top four or five tight ends in this entire draft. So he's got a lot to prove, and uh, he's really got to answer those concer- concerns for de- decision-makers. But the more talented you are, the more chances you get, and the more benefit of the doubt you get, and Alizé Max really talented. Offensive lineman Alex Bars, he's obviously recovering from injury here. I'm not sure what if that's going to hurt his draft stock. Probably won't be able to do a whole heck of a lot at the Combine, but what are you hearing about him? Yeah, and, and there again, medicals. I think teams are going to want to check up where he is on his rehab and make sure there's not going to be any long-term effects. But I actually tweeted about Bars yesterday. He's an interesting player who's kind of flying under the radar right now, but I think he has a chance to be an early day three pick, maybe a fourth or fifth rounder, and value at that point uh, because he's got a great frame, he's got positional versatility, he can play tackle or guard, and he was having a whale of a season before he got yeah. hurt. And, and there is precedent for a guy like that going early. 
Uh, a few years ago, Spencer Long on Nebraska only played six games as a senior, still went in the third round to the Redskins, and he's still playing in the league. So uh, I think Barr, as the draft gets closer, um, he's going to start generating some, some, uh, some, some helium just because of all those physical tools, but also his pedigree, being coached by Harry Heastan. I know right. what Nelson raised about him. So lots to like about Alex Barr's. Yeah, I know what you're saying, too. Notre Dame has sort of forged this pipeline now to the NFL, so I think that will hold some weight as well. Last one that's invited to the combine that I want to ask you about. A lot of debate on whether or not he should have even gone to the NFL draft. Wide receiver Miles Boykin. Yeah, and an interesting situation just because we have so many underclass and wide receiver come out, receivers come out this year. It's a really crowded field. And uh, the good news for Boykin is I've heard he's going to test better than we expect. Uh, there's okay. no question about his size. He's 6'4", 230 pounds. He's almost a, a miniature tight end. But uh, I think he's going to test out more explosively than we expect, especially with the, uh, the vertical leap and things of that nature, maybe run a little better than a 4'6". Most haven't pegged that. So uh, I think right now he's going to be drafted some, at some point on day three, and, and I think workouts are probably going to tell the tale whether he's an early day three pick or a mid to late day three pick. Okay, let's let me. One guy that we've talked a lot about up here that was not invited, and I, that, to be honest with you, I was quite surprised. Center Sam Mustafer, really steady, a leader and a three-year starter here. It might he still get drafted, even though he was not invited to the combine? Yeah, absolutely. Not being invited to the combine, it, being invited doesn't guarantee you're going to be drafted. No, and not being invited doesn't guarantee you won't be. Uh, and and Mustafer, he's going to have a shot, uh, even if he's not drafted. He's going to be in a camp. Uh, I think one thing he had working against him is, is just the position. On average, there's only about seven centers drafted on a yearly basis. And wow. for perspective, I am as my number 11 center in this class. So uh, it's just a, a very tough position. But there's a lot to like about him, too. A lot of high-quality experience. We talked about that pedigree. He's well-coached. Uh, the film just wasn't what you would expect as a senior, and, and that's why he got snubbed by the Combine in the All-Star Games. But, but he's going to get an opportunity. You would think, with the success of Nelson and McGlinchey and Alex Bars, that just because of that alone, he would have gotten an invite. In fact, Alex Bars goes down, he holds that line together, and they're undefeated. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and, and there were more combine snubs than ever this year because of the record number of underclassmen. Uh, once again, we blew the, rec- the, the record for underclassmen out of the water. There were 144 of them, and and they're going to take inevitably going to take away some of the spots from seniors like Sam Mustafer, who in past years might have gotten an invite. So there was a lot of good players who were stopped, including guys who I think have a chance to go in maybe the third or fourth round even. Wow, Scott, that's interesting. thank you so much. Scott Wright, uh, NFL Draft Countdown. Go to draftcountdown.com. Go to at Draft Countdown and uh, enjoy the combine, my friend. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Scott. Well, that's uh, Scott, and he definitely knows his stuff, Todd. We've talked to him pretty much every year since he developed that. We were talking off the air about he his first one was Peyton Manning was going to go number one. And that was <laughs> right. the year he decided to stay his senior year, screwing the Jets, of course, because the Jets always seem to get screwed in these things. Um, and then he stayed an extra year. But that's how long he's been developing DraftCountdown.com. He knows his stuff. Yeah, 22 years. Uh, I remember calling him in the late 90s, actually. I stumbled across him for a story I was working on 
uh, when I was writing for the Journal Gazette in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So that's gone back a ways. All right, we're not going to spend uh, too much time on the men. Let's go to the women now, the women's basketball team. Uh, as we record this on Friday, Thursday night, Erica Ogumbawale had the big night where she passed uh, Skylar Diggins uh, as the all-time scorer in Notre Dame uh, basketball. She is definitely uh, maybe both uh, men and women on the Mount Rushmore of Irish basketball players. Yeah, hard to argue with you there, especially the heroics she put together last year during oh the title run. Yeah, you know, when you talk about longevity and raw production and then, and then uh, sort of a flair for the dramatic, it doesn't get any better than Enrique. Uh, needed 12 points against Duke. Um, she did it before halftime. As a matter of fact, she did it so quickly, there was still 8.49 left in the second quarter when she broke the record on kind of a little uh, little pull-up from inside the arc. Those were career points two, three, five, seven. And two three five eight. She finished with twenty five points for the game, and now her record is at two three seven one overall. Notre Dame incidentally beat Duke eighty nine sixty one. The number five Irish are now twenty five and three, twelve and two in the ACC, and really they have a half game lead on Louisville just because Louisville's played one fewer game. Louisville's eleven and two, so there's a pretty good chance that Notre Dame will indeed at least share for that league title. I don't know how that works since Louisville beat them. Um, but, I, but I do believe that still goes down as a tie. It does. Uh, Notre Dame will finish its season, two more regular season games at Syracuse. That's this weekend, which is 9-4, and four, and then versus Virginia in the season finale. But again, back to Enrique. Um, it's been an amazing career, and she, like you said, she broke Diggins' record. Uh, Diggins was unavailable for comment uh, because she's having a baby. Yeah, and uh, Erica said after the game that she did text her, wished her luck before the game. Uh, to, and, you know, she leaves all her pizzazz and stuff on the court because when asked afterwards about getting this record and what it means, she was a little understated. Let's take a listen. I mean, it's just really a blessing, especially all the great players that have come to this school to be at the top of that list. It's just an honor, especially to do it at this school. I mean, I, I don't think – I mean – you gotta. It's not hyperbole. She's she's up there on the Mount Rushmore for. I mean, Kelly Tripuka. <laughs> I mean, well, you think about it. Who else would be up there? Austin Carr. Austin is the Carr. Only one yeah, that, he's the only person that has scored more points than Enrique. And boy, I'll tell you what. You talk about the king of Mount Rushmore. Uh, Carr averaged thirty four point five points a game, and that was without a three point line. And this guy was a was a mad bomber for sure. And think about it. Carr even played, let's see, he, his, he has 2,560 points. So it's certainly, if Notre Dame goes deep in the two tournaments, the two postseason tournament, Enrique could make a run at that. But keep in mind, Austin Carr did it in three years yeah. because freshmen were ineligible. So uh, when you look at that, certainly I think he is at the top of Mount Rushmore. Uh, but again, Enrique deserves all the due that she is getting. And, you know, Rags, there's nobody on this current roster that's going to make a run at that record, that's for sure. So whomever might be the next player in line to make take a shot at Arike, they're not even on the team yet. So this could hold up for a while. Well, and she's got one other thing that Austin Carr doesn't have, and that's obviously the ring from last year. And she <laughs> right? could go for broke and get two here. Let's uh, hear from Muffet McGraw asked, and now inside of this clip, you're gonna somebody's gonna ask her, uh, did you know when you were recruiting her that she'd be able to do something like this? Here's Muffet after the game last night. Well, she's the face of our program. I think when you look at what she's done for us uh, over the past four years, it's been fun to watch her grow. Um, it's been fun to uh, to see where she's become since her freshman year and how she gets better every year. Her passion for the game, um, she gets the ball in transition. She's just so exciting. 
and she's fun to watch. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed coaching her. She's taught me a lot of things um, about being fearless, about letting things go. Uh, I think she's left her mark on the program that will last forever. Um, she'll be up in the rafters one day soon. And uh, I couldn't be prouder of, of what she's accomplished here. Did you think, like when you were recruiting her, like she could reach this level? I, I thought she'd take enough shots. <laughs> that wasn't the issue. Um, you know, honestly, I think she's she's improved every single year. Uh, I don't know that I thought that at the beginning. Um, I thought she was going to be a really good player for us, of course. But I don't I don't think in those terms usually. And to uh, to think that she's now the all time leading scorer that's a phenomenal accomplishment. Well, that's the thing that her and Skylar had in common, and I, you know, and what this team's needs. Neither one of them are shy when chuck, chucking up the basketball, and, and you know, when you got the talent that those two had, uh, go ahead. You know, that's a great coach saying, "Go, go, just shoot, just shoot as much as you can." You know what's interesting though, Enrique is right there among the team leaders. I wish I had it in front of me. I read it when I was doing my research for the show, but I didn't write it down. Right there with the team leaders in assists this year, so she's not just always looking to shoot. She also looks to distribute, and I think that goes to the uh, just how efficient of a player she is. The, the the win over Duke Rags, for what it's worth, since the loss to Miami, that was now the Notre Dame's fourth straight win. That loss to Miami seemed to tick them off because they've won those four games by an average of thirty four point five points per. Uh, so they got it humming along again. Hopefully, they don't get tripped up anymore between now and April. They are eighty eight and five since joining the AC and ACC. So. Uh, this team knows how to win regular season games, and as we saw last year, uh, yesterday as well. Uh, all right, the men. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> nice what transition. You, yeah, uh, the, what do you say? I mean, the one thing is like ESPN's got to be like, you're killing us, dude. We got right. you on the schedule for all these games. They're going to play Virginia Tech on uh, Saturday afternoon, and uh, none of these games are going to mean anything. No, thirteen and thirteen overall. They're kind of treading water to even make it into a, an NIT berth. I think Mike Bray, even if it's one of those lesser tournaments, CBI, whatever they are, um, I think he'll. Pre- I, I think he'll kind of consider that because it's such a young team. Why not get him some extra playing time? Um, but yeah, they they go to Virginia and play a really solid game, lose sixty to fifty four. You think maybe that's a bit of a turning point for him, a confidence boost, and they come home and they lose to a lousy Wake Forest team, seventy five sixty eight. They just don't play defense at home. Um, they're three and ten in conference now. And now listen to this stretch. <laughs> they get a play at Florida State. I'm sorry, um, you, you mentioned the Virginia Tech game, a very good team sure. uh, in Virginia Tech. Then they go to Florida State, perhaps the hottest team in all of college basketball, and then good luck winning at Louisville. So Bray even indicated this week that he said, look, you thought we were on a youth movement before. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet mm. because he's going to get these young guys in there because he wants to get them groomed for next year. So that'll be something to watch, but... Uh, certainly not a lot to talk about when it comes to the men's side of things this and, season. And I think I'm the, I, I think they're thirteenth right now, and the, they're the thirteenth seed right now in the ACC. And I, like I said earlier in the show, they're going to play on Thursday, whether it's a noon six o'clock or eight p.m. game. It don't matter, but a Thursday game is is not what you sign up for here or Wednesday, whenever it starts. It's just. Todd, I'm a little surprised. You know, they couldn't handle the mm-hmm. injury early. They are getting double doubles out of Mooney, which is nice, but that is it, man. And yeah, yeah. And, and they're hard to watch. And and usually a Mike Bray team's not hard to watch. That's a great point, Rags. They yeah, that's a great point. They're usually very they're very entertaining uh offensively, especially. That's not been the case 
They can't shoot. They really aren't moving the ball as well as they usually do. Fortunately, T.J. Gibbs is coming around a little bit because he was really struggling. He's played three good games in a row, so it's nice to see him getting going uh, a little bit. But, yeah, uh, they like I said, like we said at the start of the show, Notre Dame could be on a plane back home before the second game of the entire ACC tournament's even over. Yeah. Uh, all right, real quick, other sports. I know baseball got underway. Uh, they had a nice win over Eastern Michigan. What do we know about the hockey team? Where are we at now? We kind of wrap up every show with a hockey update. Yeah, winding down a little bit here. Uh, Notre Dame now down to 16th in the country according to rankings. They're 16-11-3 overall. It's a little bit of a transition year. Actually did a story in Blue and Gold Illustrated on Jeff Jackson, the coach, and said he kind of saw this coming with what he was losing a little bit. Uh, so he kind of looks to maybe rebound next year a little bit more. But uh, still a ways to go. Notre Dame is actually second in the Big Ten. A lot more parity this year. Ohio State first with eight wins, three losses, and three ties. Uh, Notre Dame second, seven wins, six losses, two ties. Uh, and Minnesota, seven wins, six losses, and three ties. Notre Dame just came off a weekend split with Wisconsin. And now that I mentioned Minnesota, that's where they play this weekend. Notre Dame will go up to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and play Minnesota this weekend in a two-game set. And then they'll wrap up the regular season next weekend with a home two-game tilt against Penn State. And that will bring us to the Big Ten tournament then, Rags. Yeah. Both teams are through 30 games. Minnesota and Notre Dame, they have exactly the same record. It's 16-11-3. and So, all right, Todd, another one in the books. We'll be back in two weeks, uh, another blue gold. And by then, we'll have the combine under our belt. And we'll uh, be closer to the March madness, which won't be much madness in the <laughs> In the men right. department, but the, the, you know what? There, there's been enough madness with that team for the entire year to last us through March, Todd. Uh, you got, yes. You have a good one, all right, my friend? I will, and spring ball will be going on by then, too, Rags. Yep, you too, my friend. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.